here we go. We are rocking and rolling, and we are live, ladies and gentlemen, streaming on Black Tribbles on YouTube, as well as on Facebook in our Tribble Nation Facebook group. Thank you, each and every one of you who are checking us out, who are listening to the show on podcast. Welcome to Gotta Talk! Gotta Talk! My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined right there below by that guy right there. This one? Hi. Uh, I'm Noel, a.k.a. Superman's pal Jimmy Tribble. Just happy to be here with friends. And next to him, we have... Oh, Brian Lieb, uh, the literal Tribble. Ready to go. And just above him and over to right next to me, we have... I'm Alice, I guess, in the Brady Bunch lineup. Now, hi, I'm uh, Rob Optimus Triple Patey. Been out of comics for a while. Glad to be back. Yes. Now, so for those, this, I, I don't know this, but Faces. I think Rob has been on Gutter Talk, but it certainly has been a long time since he's been on Gutter Talk. And he was one time a regular on the Cult Pop Spoiler Alert podcast. Oh, gee. Not even just regular, just original. That's right. That's right. Original. The original. He the one that was on the uh, the one that was on ain't it cool news? That's right. That's right. For that's about right. You... Ten years. Yeah. Was it cool? Ain't it? Ain't it? It is. It is. It am. I guess would be the appropriate response. <laughs> the new the news was all right, but the spoiler alert was cool. That's what I heard. That's what <laughs> that's, I heard. Yeah, that was the common consensus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob is joining and uh, joining us uh, tonight. Um, yes, Christopher Saint saw it. Yes, holy S. Oh boy. It is Rob P. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see, buddy. Oh shit. Wait, so Len, you'll put holy shit up on the screen, but you won't say it? I know. I peeped it myself. I don't know why. <laughs> and now that you have introduced it into the show, I did. I knew what I was doing. The shit's out. The shit is out of the bag. So I know, you're cursing. It, it, I, I can't take it. It's out of the bag. Well, hey, this is we are in the gutters of the comic book pages, ladies and gentlemen. So that's where um, we get the title for our show. And to a degree, that is where we are living today as we are remembering um, truly one of the greats of the of comic bookdom who we lost this past week. Uh, Dennis. I want to give him his full name, Dennis J. O'Neill, more properly known as Denny O'Neill, passed away on June 11th, just this past Thursday. Um, and he is a person who broke into comics in the 60s. He broke into comics from that initial wave of people who followed the comics in the 30s and 40s to actually becoming a part of the comic book industry and to say that he changed the game is an understatement he truly did change the the game of comic books he truly did um uh usher in a whole new level of relevancy to dc comics and we are here to celebrate his his career today on gutter talk with Noel, with Brian, with Rob, who knows uh, a whole lot about Denny O'Neill's uh, history and is joining us. And we also have 
Hey, oh, Johnny Destructo. Oh, boy. <laughs> he, he, he popped in to be on the show. <laughs> Just a chew. Just a chew. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, bye. Ah, it's good to see you guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> um, I got, yo, know, you can't see it. I got Nutella strawberry French toast. Ooh, Look at that lot. stuff. That's a that's a lot. That's a lot of things on a plate. Yeah. It's a yeah, pleasure to be here, a- fellows. Get it, talk. I tried. It's a- we, we we did that already. I can't we were- hear. I, mean, I can't do the voice like like Len does it. But we've no. we've been there. Oh, Tim says my virgin ears. Yes. <laughs> There's yes, nothing Tim. about that picture that's virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got a text from him uh, on my, my on the back phone on the thwip the thwip for the phone I guess and it just says Patey question mark question mark question mark I'm not dead clearly <laughs> he's just on sabbatical yeah that's all that's all but he's, I he's... Know if he's just Im- impressed that Patey is here or if he's like what the hell guys what about me <laughs> um... he, you know what you know what hell Let's send the link to Tim. Let's bring Tim yeah. in. If, if you got, got time to watch. Yeah, He's yeah, JD. Send the link to Tim, because I know Tim's got a, a lot to offer about um, mm-hmm. Denny O'Neill. I'm well, certain. He's old, too. <laughs> I, uh, so I'm walking I'm walking into this conversation. So like you had mentioned, um, the 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 reputation and the and the the exalted you know voice of, of Denny O'Neill. Like he's, he's one of the top 10 you hear about. People just throw the name. So I only really know about him by virtue, by by reputation. Like when we started talking earlier about like the things that Denny O'Neill has written that we read and loved, I was just like, oh yeah, I know that one. I know that one too. I know that one also. But I have no real like connection or or memories reading them. It's like they were just always around yeah. and you have it by well, us. He, he was... He was an editor as well. So you, you say that osmosis effect, it's the same thing as like a Pete Tomasi before Pete yeah. picked up the pen. If you want a comparability there, Pete was guiding the hand of Green Lantern just as Denny was guiding Batman through the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s until he picked up the pen again. And he did that every few decades. He just picked up the pen and was always relevant. I, I mean... Yeah. Many fade, many become passe over time, but Denny always morphed. And it was always different each decade from hard-hitting heroes in the 70s to you have the work that he, he's doing in the 80s and he pops back over to Marvel. And then he comes back in the 90s with uh, uh, Batman Shadow of the Bat. Um, oh, you know, wow. I mean, it's just for three decades. Yeah, right? I forgot three about Shadow of the Bat. Victor Zaz and shit. Victor Zaz and stuff. Asriel was Asriel was Denny and Joe Casada. Hmm. Wow, that's right. And you know that you've done boss stuff with all the things you just mentioned, right? You haven't even touched on what he what he did for Marvel Comics, which you have to join in because um, he he worked on Iron Man. He's the one that brought in the whole idea of. Uh, Tony Stark, you know, struggling with alcoholism and Jim Rose taking over 
the 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 armor and stuff like that. He's the one that brings uh, Frank Miller over to Daredevil. We haven't even touched on that. The last thing on the man's resume is that he's the man who gave the name to Optimus Prime. That's how you know this Did man he? is done big, big what? stuff. Yeah, you I, didn't know that, did you? What does he have to do with the Transformers? Transformers were never a thing, okay? Transformers came over from Japan as these toys that turned into robots. And they said to the American audience, there's no freaking way the American kids are going to get this. Uh, too stupid, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we are, we we are a dumb to, lot. We are dumbasses. Um, we, they needed a story wrapped around it. So you look at what Denny O'Neill did, as well as Jim Shooter, they created the entire Transformers line of stories, uh, Cybertron, everything. That was all the construction of Marvel Comics at the time. Yep. Also, uh, quick side note about the Transformers. I, as I understand it, they were two separate toy lines in Japan. The Autobots, and that's why they're all cars, and the Decepticons, right. which were not called that. And the Autobots were like mechs that they got inside. The Decepticons were all like, that's why, that's why, uh, what's his name? Megatron. Megatron, Megatron is a gun. He's a handheld right. item. Like, it's so crazy. That then turns into a 30 foot robot. Makes right, sense. right. Right. Very compacted. But yeah, and then when magic. they. Magic. Of course. And just, and speaking of magic, hey, it's Tim from last week. It's the it's, old uh, podcast. What's up, everybody? It's so exciting to be here with my long, poofy hair and shaggy <laughs> yeah. beard. Yeah, yeah. We're so, not all we're not hey, all married Tim. to a stylist. That's right. That's good. Yeah. That's a good look. I like that. Holy except shit, for yeah, except for JD. Here. Yeah, bastards. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Y'all going right. crazy? Yeah. Uh, look at. Give a, give a white guy a camera. Y'all go crazy. All right, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Let's screenshot it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this uh, is off the rails. What are we at? Uh, yeah. Get back to this rail. Uh, Danny O'Neill, I would say, when people talk about Bronze Age of comics as not a continuity thing like post crisis, but like when comics started to either like deal with harder hitting real world issues or try to uh, scale things kind of a little lower in DC. Like he got rid of Kryptonite. He was the editor of Superman that yes. uh, made all Kryptonite turn into iron on the on Earth and, um, you know, brought Joker back to a ground level. I would say he was like very heavily, maybe the guiding hand behind that kind of thing, um, at least at DC Comics, although the Demon in a Bottle fits right into that, you know, in around the late 70s, uh, early 80s. This might be a, a, a divergence. Um, why, why did he get rid of all Kryptonite? It was what just it, what, being so used. Like every, it was it was all over the place. Like every time they wanted a writer wanted to do something, they was like, "Oh, this turns out this thing was kryptonite, or we wow. had." Kryptonite. Oh, wasn't it? Wasn't it also just like they they kept creating colors for like just exactly fucking cuz? But like, it was that too. Yeah, it was that too. I mean, I love the differently colored kryptonites, but yeah, uh, but it was. When they, it was like when a, a writer when a writer comes in and says, "I have chartreuse kryptonite that is going yeah. to be unendingly <laughs> 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 empathetic." It killed bacteria because probably one story needed something that would kill a lot of bacteria or, or plant life. If they, had, if they had planned ahead and there were only like seven colors of kryptonite, like 
Green Lantern rings, sort of. Uh, that would have been ahead of their time, but they went insane. You're right. Chartreuse was the, it, it broke the camel's back. So, yeah, it was. It was indeed the chartreuse that broke. But the thing you were talking about when he got rid of the kryptonite, this is how iconic this man is. This is how how um, much a part of comics he is into the iconography of comics. Because it wasn't the editor. It was actually the writer of that story that got rid of uh, kryptonite. And the I believe it was Superman number 233. And it the, the cover of that book is one of the most iconic wow. images of yeah. um, uh, of Superman uh, that there is, I got it. I got it right up there. You know what? I'm going to put it someplace else. I'm going to put it in a. I got a different place where I can put it. But, put it um, over JD because he's not there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can put it. I can put it up over uh, JD. That's what I, I should do. Put it right right there for him. Um, here it comes. There, there he goes. Ah. Look at that. That's, and, and, that's, and it's right over JD and Rob. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's fine. But, <laughs> I like Rob. I love that Rob. Has, Rob's like, that has been aped uh, ad nauseum throughout the annals of history. Iconic, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Now, was this itself even a reference to an earlier one where the kryptonite was, where I mean, where they were just regular chains? Was no, there no, no. Yeah. That was strictly, no. strictly what Neil Adams chose to mm. to represent. Oh, that was Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Mm. It had never be, been seen as a story hindrance before. Yeah, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams go tight. I mean, they go back to. I remember my first time viewing uh, a Denny O'Neill book, and I didn't know what the hell it was. I was four years old, right, when that Muhammad Ali versus Superman book yeah. came out. Yep. Yeah, I am I am yeah. a, I'm a little idiot collecting Richie Rich books, right? I, we, we would go to the shows in Jersey, and we were just collecting back issues of Richie Rich. I love Richie Rich, but I saw that Muhammad Ali, and you know, not in the sports balls or sports anything either. But I loved Ali as a narrator. I loved hearing him on TV even when I was a kid, and that was that's one of those first. That, yeah, and I hate the fact that I don't have it anymore, but it was oversized and couldn't fit in a damn long box, right? <laughs> So my pudgy, stupid little hand. So that was my first introduction into Denny and Neil. Uh, it was, I mean, that book just blew you away. It was oversized. It was, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, there was no stupidness of the story. They took it 100% serious. Uh, yeah. And that's amazing to do when you've got Superman fighting a boxer. Tim's <laughs> putting the camera in his lap. Right. I think my uh, first. It's slowly uh, moving down, yes. Yeah, I I'll get it right. It's or no, just, just relax and let it happen. Happen. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Um, do you guys remember? So this was one of my first trades ever. Um, we were talking about earlier, Len, the black and white Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman with mm-hmm. uh, the man bat. There were like three, or I had three. There could have been 58 of them. I don't know. But uh there was uh, one with the man bat on the cover, one with the guy with the Grim Reaper scythe. Um, mm-hmm. They were such excellent, like, they were Batman detective stories. They're like just what I think of when I think of Batman. And also not uh, not invulnerable. You know what I mean? Like, right. he was like a dude in a suit who was really good at what he does, but sometimes, you know, would get the crap beaten out of him or whatever, you know. 
Well, and Brian, you know, the reason I was originally coming on today was to talk about what would Rob Beatty do to comics? Where has his malaise come from? And how would he change editorial direction in comics? And I, you hit a nail on the head that I was going to bring up. They were damn detective stories. Mm -hmm. There was a twist. There yeah. was clues. And that's something that I would recommend after my uh, assignment for reading this week. Did, is did that? Is the, yes, I did. <laughs> you guys called an audible a half hour before the show. Yes, I was read my books more than a half hour before the friggin' show. Um, professional, damn it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Denny could write a very good detective story, a very good mystery story. There were twists. He was a story crafter. Yeah, big time. Big time. Yeah, Tim, like uh, Tim. Guy. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to go to Tim. Let Tim get in with, like, um, if he remembers his the first time he came upon or realized he was reading some Denny O'Neill. So the, the funny thing is that I didn't know Denny until he was already Batman group editor. So oh, okay. I, started, I started reading DC stuff in the late 80s and every book had Denny's name in it. Mm. And I was one of those people that read the entire credits list. So mm. I knew all the names. I knew colorists, I knew letters, and I knew editors. And I, I started to get a sense that it can't be easy to manage more than one book that's the same character just at that level. And then, of course, at the same time, Warner Brothers was in the process of creating a Batman empire. They were trying to create something much bigger than just a comic book character. And Denny was involved in that, too. Maybe he didn't make the decisions like we think of, but he's the one that he's the connection between that comic character and those people doing stuff. And it may not be a one-to-one -one relationship because you cared about comics, but he's the interface. Nobody knows, nobody knows what's happening in the books without Denny and Denny's got them all under his arms and he, he, he had his fingers in everything. And yeah. I, I start going, that's a job I would hate. I would hate the crap out of that job because <laughs> you can't make anybody happy. Um, except but it's the, only, the only people, the only people you need to make happier are the fans. I would say I'd relish that job. Well, no, you're right. At that point, literally the only people that were happy were the Batman comic readers who were going, right. give us more titles. And they did. And, <laughs> you know, it just, it expanded. And as much as at some point we all sort of collectively went, whoa, guys, enough Batman books, um, for a time, they were so involved, even though they weren't, you know, issue to issue connected, there was a feel, but every book was slightly different. So, mm -hmm. you know, he still managed that while still making it a single cohesive corner of the DC universe. And that's got to be impressive to anybody. Definitely. Yeah. Go, go to, to that end, he wrote the Batman 1989 comic book adaptation. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, right. with Jerry. He Conrad. also did, he also did, yeah. he also did the Batman Forever comic adaptation, yep. but I won't I won't speak ill will of the dead. That's not. <laughs> right. I think he also. I Batman think he also Forever wrote, is fine. There's no. I think wrong. he also wrote one or two of the 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 adaptations for the 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 newer Batman trilogy. Uh, 
Who the hell did So, like, even after he stopped being Denny O'Neill in Batman in DC Comics, he was still Denny O'Neill, and people picked up the phone and said, Denny, I got something yeah. for you. So, you know, even Colleen Doran, who didn't work with him, just posted yesterday or today that she had all kinds of respect for him because of how how his name filtered through from other people. And that's huge because when you're not working with somebody, people are going to be like, hey, you know what he did to me? No, no, no. She only got good stories. And people I feel like people would have waved her off. If there was a bunch of bad to come through, so well, he is and Frank Miller, who normally doesn't give credit to anybody for anything, does credit to Denny O'Neill for The Dark Knight. I mean, we would not have this modern adaptation of Batman without right. that book, right? And I feel, again, I feel like Dark Knight is the end is master, yeah. Dark Knight is the end line of what Denny wrote in the 70s. Hmm. Like, you, you take it out, that's where you go. That's a really good so, point. That's a really good point about like posthumously talking about these 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 you know big caricatures in comic books or or these these big people in comic books. Um, almost all of them, when they pass away, there's some sort of controversy. At least at least like the you know the top tier. So even when Stan Lee passed away, there were still echoes of like yeah, but at least you know he stole shit from X, Y, and Z. Or when Ditko passed, we were like yeah, well at least he was a dick to this editor. Like. I haven't heard any of that about Denny O'Neill at all. Yeah, like, there's probably only one. Dude. There's probably only one like thing that Denny O'Neill is known known for that is to the detriment of his legacy. But in his um, in his benefit, you know, to his credit, he actually takes you know. He knows that it's a demerit to his legacy as well. Um, but before we go there, I want to get JD a, a chance to talk because who knows when he's going to be pulled away. JD, if you remember your first time getting uh, pulled into uh, Denny O'Neill, did he write the um, Neil Adams Batman where he's running on the beach? Yes. Yes. With the, yes. With the, the shark, right? Yep. 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 That's one of my earliest Batman stories. Um, mm. And it's still one of my favorites, um, or at least, you know, from what I remember, I haven't revisited it in a while, but it, it always stuck out as, um, the, like, a very important Batman story in my life. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't, for, for the most part, Denny O'Neill, and also the Green Lantern stuff, right? The brown, what, you know, yeah. he did this for the blue yeah. man, and he did this for the green man and the yellow man, but what did you ever do for the brown man? Yep. Was, that, was yep. that the quote? That was him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one of the first times seeing, you know, SJW politics yeah. in comics. Uh, you know, it was a, a creator speaking to reality and racism that exists and um, trying to, you know, bring these things to light in a comic book. Even before I got around to, I think, Stan Lee, I think I had read that particular um, issue and I was really impressed by it as, as a small, small child. Um, mm -hmm. I was and like, was oh, whole, that's really cool. That was and, like, that's, and that's that's that the key. Thing. Sorry. What? Sorry, Brian. Oh, it's the uh, ahead, the Green Lantern that you were talking about is not just like a story where he highlights it. Like that was the kickoff of a major change. I mean, that was when it became Green Lantern, Green Arrow. At least on the cover, I think it said that. Um, and it was them like going around America trying to do better. You know, like so even more than just highlighting the issue, but then exploring it for. Yeah. 
what a seminal run. I don't know how long it was. What twelve issues? It feels like it would have been. It could have been more. The, there were the, it was called the hard traveling heroes, right? Yeah, Wasn't it's, it's the, enough for an absolute yeah. to like twelve to fourteen. Like it was Football. a it was a series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which later I mean, played it, a lot of other. You know, like a lot has come from that from that one story. Um, and apparently, he was also the one that made Green Arrow not rich anymore. So, like, brought him down. Yeah. My my ward is a junkie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think that was during the same because Green Lantern yeah. is like on that cover, right? Yeah. 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 It's through that same run. It was during that same run that he uh the famous it's a famous cover. It's almost is the cover is so famous that if you see it. You might think that oh, this is a fake cover because it's literally a, a, a superhero sidekick on there talking about I, I'm uh, he's addicted to drugs and it, yeah. if you read it now, it kind of like reads a little, a little hokey, a little bit. But it, the 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 think that this is the early '70s and you're coming off of, especially in comics, especially in DC comics, when the biggest thing that they had going was. Batman coming out in 1966 so everything was real campy and everything like that for Denny O'Neill a long time like Rob mentioned his longtime partner Neil Adams to just come in and just shake the ground up the entire foundation of DC Universe the way that he that way that he did is groundbreaking the Batman that he introduces is the Batman that Frank Miller under Denny O'Neill's editorial ship does in Dark Knight in year one. And that is the Batman that is the number one hero of all time right now. You know what I mean? Um, it, that's all because of Denny, all because of what he did. Was there a backlash from that? I wasn't around for it as much. I'm a little younger than some of you guys. Um, it was that so much. <laughs> not by much, no. But just, just enough that I, I wasn't really, I, I wasn't yeah. at a point in my don't, life where I was. Don't let those frosted tips scare, fool you, ladies and gentlemen. He, he's, he's not that. Am I the youngest, youngest right now? Um, yeah. Uh, so I, it was just enough, though, that uh, I didn't, I wasn't privy to how fandom at large received things. I was just like, oh, this is cool, and then that's, I was, it was, I was the only one I could talk to about these things. Um, <laughs> Where, when Denny O'Neill was doing these like SJW politics, was there a backlash of like keep your politics out of my comics and stuff back then? Not there at all. Weren't as, there, no, there were, and there weren't. But to be fair, you didn't have as many mediums to disseminate the fan voice. I mean, you know, you can believe that Wiki means Hawaiian for quick, quick and self-publish, or you can believe that Wiki means apocalypse. I don't right. know. I'm sitting between the two right now because this this pulpit of everyone with a voice to herald the comics you've got an equal voice to bitch about the comics and that's because mm -hmm. that noise or static or opinion or good we're not sure yet society still hasn't figured that out i don't think they ever will if but, anything uh, if anything and i don't think this necessarily was backlash but if anything there was the feeling that dc was actually trying to play catch-up yeah. with yeah. marvel now, while they probably were still selling um, on the same numbers, you know, wise as far as sales, as far as capturing the zeitgeist, uh, DC was losing losing the, their grip with with the readers. So, if anything, Denny O'Neill was trying to like edit them into you know the real world, mm. you know. 
Marvel comes out of the gate with reality, with the hero on the street. And it takes, as Len said, DC a very long time to catch up to that. But Danny is the zeitgeist of bringing that reality in the comics, bringing that fallibility of these heroes, right? To show I, that, you know, yeah. But I think they, they sort of did that. And there's a, a Facebook comment sort of to that point. Um, they sort of used they sort of used Green Lantern as the, hey, I don't get this, this noise I'm hearing from society. There's not bad stuff out there, is there? And Green Arrow is going, dude, look, this is right. what you're not seeing. And I think it's as much, as much storytelling as it is, hey, we get it. We're missing the boat collectively. <laughs> Let's try and learn a little something. And I feel like that's, that's almost a moment we're in right now outside this door and you can preach by smacking people in the face but when you're coming at it from a place where you weren't involved at all five minutes ago it's hard to go well now i'm standing up maybe if you show it happening and hal jordan's gone man i never saw that before but now that i see it i'm concerned maybe it's an easier Give to make. Well, and that, I, 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 that's kind of smart. That is what happened, though. Right? Um, that you know that that kicked off that interaction kicked off him. You know how being like, oh yeah, I should stick around here and and try to do more and better. You know, yeah. I was gonna say it makes sense for me for Green Lantern to be that guy if he's the intergalactic hero, and he's not as immersed in the, you know, um, I would say politics, but the goings on of, of the, you know, the ground level um, populist, yeah. it makes sense that he would come out of the sky and be like, what's happening? What? Racism. Right. How, I also think that Hal Jordan has also been notoriously a flake and yeah. kind of, <laughs> oh yeah, well, you know, I'll just hang in this sector for a year. Why not? Cool. I'm Hal Jordan. I right. mean, it's sort of to us, it seems one way, I think it would feel differently if, you know, it's a very Earth-centric attitude, which makes sense because everyone reading the comics is living on Earth. But in that well, world... As far as you know. That is an excellent point, J.D. I should not have spoken so rashly. I shall. The, you know, but he is off, like, doing good other places. It's just like... For us, it works as a metaphor because he's out in space away from everything, yeah. you know. Are you, are you trying to make excuses for Hal Jordan? Like, hey, he's a good guy, too, just because he didn't know. Like, he's busy in space. Yeah, pretty much. Like, he is. He is a, you know he's not real, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to point out the flaws. Okay, cool. <laughs> this will also be okay to point that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that Denny O'Neill, like we mentioned, spends a lot of his, his early career with Neil Adams, who is definitely a groundbreaking artist. But if you've read any interview with Neil Adams, especially recently, he is a man who is, in his mind, responsible for everything. Like, literally, anything that you like, 
has happened in the world, Neil Adams has had a part of it, even if it is your children. Oh, yes, I can see that you would have. Like, he, he believes he is responsible for everything. There yeah, is. I think it's, it's... Oh, sorry, Lon. I, 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 I got to. I think... got to. Go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Go, go, go. No, I was just going to say, I, I got to meet the man uh, again with the Ain't It Cool News gig. It was a blessing and a bit of a curse. So I got to see, I was hanging mm. out at Comic-Con. I'm hanging out with JMS, right, at Comic-Con. Just the two biggest guys in the place just gravitate towards, uh, I guess, density, right? And we're walking past and people are waving. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, and then, um, you know, just walking by, waving high and stuff. And we there he waves at Danny. And I go, oh, who's that? And he goes, that's Danny. Let's not bother him. He's eating toast or whatever. I said, okay, fine. I'll hang out with you. That's fine enough for me. Neil wouldn't let you go ever. If Neil got a hold of you and you were a reporter, he dug in you like a velociraptor to a stake and just... I remember for 20 minutes, Neil was trying to sell me the book that my quote was on the cover for. (laughs) I said, Neil, I know the book, man. I reviewed it. You know, I hope I gave it a little bump in sales. And the huckster, not the huckster, the the carnival, the showman is far more present in Neil than it is in Denny. And you need both sides, right? Maybe, you, you know, do. Denny, quiet and reserved. You need those hucksters to pimp your stuff sometimes. You need that partnership. Which book was it? Which book did you review? No, oh, I don't remember. It was because the really terrible it was a really terrible one. It was Batman, Odyssey. Odyssey. Batman Odyssey. Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> oh, God, damn it. Same place. Even even I, if I, believe, he, I believe my I believe my quote on the cover this is a book. Yeah, like the quote on the cover is like <laughs> This shirt was drawn. That was a big commitment, Rob. I can't believe you made that commitment. I could, I could count. Every, I could count every hair on Bruce Wayne's forearm. Oh yeah, he was very. He was a very. Oh, what is it? Hair suit. Uh, hair yeah, like hair sporty hair gentleman. Yeah. Ooh, that's a book. Yep. <laughs> that's funny, but I think it's funny that you know he he teams up with him, but then. In the middle part of his career, in the 80s and 90s, he is famously, more so as an editor, is responsible for propelling the career of Frank Miller by getting him on uh, Daredevil and giving him a free hand to totally rework Daredevil into the Daredevil that we saw that was a hit on the Netflix series is more or less... is is his daredevil right um and then to he reworks he takes neil he takes denny's batman and even finds a a place where he can um add his own stamp to the character to fully form the batman that we know today and as i think that's great that denny um can work with talent whether or not he's leading them as a writer or leading them as an editor as well i think that speaks well to how he got along with everyone and like we've all noted no one has a bad thing to say about the man except that in the 70s ah, yeah. denny o'neill in trying to <laughs> you know look I worked with Batman and I made him work. 
I killed Kryptonite and Superman, and I made it work. Let me go to the the third third part of the Trinity with Wonder Woman, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take away her powers. I'm going to take away her bracelet. I'm going to take away her costume, and I'm going to make her a spy. She's going to be, I think, like a florist or a beauty designer, a boutique owner or something, and then she's going to be a a spy. She's basically going to be Emma Peel uh, as Wonder Woman, and boy, that does not work. It does not work. It, it it's it's the uh the all new and amazing Wonder Woman is just not a good thing. Let me let me let, let me play devil's advocate on this real fast. If I think of the Linda Evans Wonder Woman show, I feel a slap. Linda of Carter. Dead. Linda Carter. Linda Evans. You're in a digital room of nerds. That doesn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> you will digitally kill me. Um, <laughs> I see wafts of that in Linda Carter's role of Wonder Woman. Yes, she still has the invisible plane and the bracelets and things, but when she is, I think she was a secretary in the Navy or something, if I remember correctly, those sides of the show of Wonder Woman's personal life, I think imbued a little bit into that show from Denny's work. See, I actually think that Denny's work is more prevalent in the equally egregious Kathy Lee Crosby TV movie (laughs) Wonder Woman, where she is literally a spy running around in a jumpsuit. (laughs) I don't know any of this. So he apparently... Uh, he apparently was trying to, uh, like, support feminism, which, you know, at the time was gaining a lot of uh, long overdue ground. And I think what I've heard is his thought was like, well, if we take away the powers, then she will just be this very capable person. And then Gloria Steinem wrote an article <laughs> in Ms. Magazine about, like, you failed the moment you took away her powers, I think is. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm going to show you how strong women can be by crippling their abilities right right her powers i'm sorry brian her powers are connected to her persona and her visage and her visage was developed as a bondage queen yeah. so i think when denny puts a pair of pants on her that there is a moment of in his opinion and again not living the experience he did the best he could he put her in a pair of pants right i mean there, there, there was a symbolism to that alone. The first time, uh, um, uh, oh, hello, Spencer. What's her name? The old uh, Catherine. Oh, uh, Kate, the movie. Ka- Ka- Kate Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. Kate Hepburn. The first time Kate Hepburn put on her slacks, women were free. Right? Trousers. I mean, was, uh, trousers. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's what he was trying to achieve. And so while it's a bad story, it was a bad decision. I think he was doing the best he could and oh, the yeah. best he did. It's, it's oh, classic yeah. miss you know? the mark. Not, yeah. right. not, not a pernicious act of stripping right. this character of what no. matters. It's more like having the, I mean, we all kind of suffer from it, especially nowadays where new voices that were not uh, at, you know, at the front of culture are now being louder or propelled. And we're all learning, like, as as mostly straight white men, we're all learning perspectives and things that we did not know 
that are in hindsight, like, oh, I could see how that's probably a problem. I didn't have the perspective to know that beforehand, but I hear what you're saying. Now we in in this room, in this digital room, uh, know the difference between what we didn't know and do know, and usually don't get crazy defensive about it and fight it. Like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and what makes Denny O'Neill probably a good human being or was a good human being is that when he found out about all this, how did he respond? How did he react? Yeah. Good question. How long did that last even? Like they they took it away pretty quickly in terms of comics, I think because of the reaction. So I yeah, his, yeah. overall, overall, his ownership of like, mm, didn't think of it that way. My bad. Is probably you know more than, than good than anything else, right? You want know what I want to know? Why does Tim have a copy of it in the store? Super popular. Because they were nobody they, they were on sale a while back. Nobody. Uh, they were on sale. Uh, yeah, they were, I want to say I want to say it was about. I want to say it was about two years. Yeah, about, mm, yeah. about yeah. 20, 24 uh, issues, something like that. Like but that. I think, <laughs> I think, the thing of it is, and and this is not, I am not Gloria Steinem, but no, I don't think. Yeah, it's hard to tell. I know. Yeah. I don't think Wonder Woman, the way we think of her, was the image of women as the sexual revolution was happening, and that again. Look at me. Look at me. You know where I'm coming from. Caveat what you're saying. Caveat this. But I feel like this international spy with her Chinese I Ching mentor teaching her how to be a better martial artist. Like, this reminds me of Charlie's Angels, which came a little later. And that was like, that was so forward for women. And I look at this now, a generation later, and go, you know what, that could have worked. I feel like the only problem is that it supplanted a book that already exists with an icon already on it. If this had been Diana Prince, who wasn't Wonder Woman, and they made a, a two-year-long series of the martial arts kicking butt chick who solved international crimes, this would have been totally different. I have a pickup, so I'm going to disappear for a moment. I totally agree, though. Uh, Tim will never know this, but I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> now that he's left, I feel like it's yeah. the best time to agree with him as a person. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if, tell, they, tell. if she had kept her powers or if she had never had powers, and what, you know, like either one of those, I think it would have a much different place in comics history. Um, but it was the taking away, I think, that did it. Well, I, it's it's um, I don't know. Yeah, I, the the hindsight twenty twenty kind of thing. But then even when we make mistakes, it's usually we as the plural we make mistakes. It's it could be pivoted into positive things. So so that's mm -hmm. that's the whole idea of like popular culture kind of finding something problematic, but understanding the the concept of it and repurposing it in a way like and, and it wasn't it a bad. Yeah, and it would not have become a thing unless Gloria Steinem had talked about it, right? Going back to what we said earlier about there was not these places for us to babble infinitely about the minutia of life in these channels, right? Ooh, that was right. Gloria Steinem bringing that to the forefront just as when Superman passed away, right? That is That becomes a thing because of major right. news networks. Right. We're all just bitching and grousing about it while we're waiting in line for the books, and that's where it ended. Yeah. Was it the first issue of Ms. Magazine that had Wonder Woman on the cover? 
I yes. can't remember if it was the first it's issue or not. And I, I suspect that's part of why there was a response. They had already sort of grabbed that icon yeah. as, as their representation, in which case I sort of go, eh, maybe we don't want to take her away if okay. I'm in that room. But at the you know, at the same time, maybe maybe at least make a phone call. I don't know. I, I feel like if you're trying to make a feminist statement by changing Wonder Woman, hmm. you ask a feminist <laughs> or someone on the front of that front line what right. they think. It may not be your answer or your decision, but you at least get an idea. I don't know. But that yeah, was but a long time ago. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So, I feel I like that's more on the forefront these days and very good for society. You know, that like, hey, find out from somebody who might know. And, you know, to his credit, he may have done that. Like, he may have asked some women. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. knows? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, also, too, nowadays, nowadays it's it's more apropos and honestly smarter to, oh, we want this specific perspective in our books. Mm -hmm. Well, there's tons and tons of writers who literally come from that specific perspective. Why okay. don't we start, instead of trying to mimic them, why don't we actually... Come over here and see if they're and or hireable and or, or good, right? Like well, well, Denny Denny O'Neill. And speaking of, um, you know, like he, like we mentioned, he was an editor on Batman for a long time, for almost fifth, I think, a little over fifteen years. Mm. So he was there for a, a lot of seminal moments in the Batman um, mythology, including, like I said, Frank Miller's um, Year One and. Uh, the uh, Dark Knight um, books, but he was also there for uh, as the editor when with, they introduced and then later killed Jason Todd. You know, very controversially in the um, Death of the Family, and he mentions here in response, he gives a quote about the death of Jason Todd uh, and his feelings, his grappling with you know how that would went over and i have a funny feeling even though he doesn't mention it this also speaks to his thoughts in regards to you know uh looking back on what he did with wonder woman and he says that speaking about his role in the death of jason todd he remarked it changed my mind about what i do for a living superman and batman have been in the continuous publication for over half a century and has never been true of any fictional construct before these characters have a lot more weight than the hero of a popular sitcom that lasts maybe four years they have become post-industrial folklore and part of this job being the editor is to be the custodian of folk figures. Everybody on earth knows Batman and Robin. So I think he may, may have even been like lamenting his role in there a little bit. Maybe like, you know, hindsight being 2020, maybe he, hand, he thinks he handles that different. And I wouldn't be surprised that without mentioning it, that speaks to him, you know, thinking about his time and what he did with Wonder Woman as well. When, and that's when the of the man. When was that uh, quote? The quote is from, I think the quote is actually from, uh, it says 19, well, it's mentioning in 80, in 1986, so it doesn't say that this quote is necessarily from 86. Hold on. Because um, when the death in the family happened, that's 88, well, no, 89. I, is if, this is a, if this is a in hindsight quote or interview, I didn't know uh -huh. how recent it was, because honestly, that speaks to a lot of the, um, 
bigger problems or conversations that are happening in fandom now when um, for a brief period of time, publishers are pivoting with characters mm-hmm. or, or reimagining them or doing things. And honestly, they're always cyclical, but people freak out. Yeah. Like their childhoods are being well, torn the, from the, the world. It's interesting you say, Noel, that they've always been cyclical. They haven't always been cyclical. Okay. That's one of the that's one of the issues with that I have with the modern age of comics is that he said he is the keeper of a folklore, and and, yeah. and folklore has a permanence to it. Mm. Uh, the the age of reboots, the age of resets, the age of dabbling for a year and then pulling a comic fugazi out of a hat and saying, no, 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 forget all this happened because a metaverse near, right? That that's that's bullshit of a modern age and an age of where many of today's even older heads, I would call them, have have come from and have seen that. But going back. It, it was an age of permanence that that the changes had matter and effect to them, and it, that's something I don't think yeah. the current editorial or writers so have to under about. under a different. So I guess is is that were we defining them as symbols or actual narrative devices? So if the symbol of Superman and Batman is a folklore permanence, does it matter the current storyline? Because everything that's happening or has happened is basically just a tweak of the current storyline to involve this or that type of character or switch the status quo here and there, but they've never get rid of the symbolic permanence of the character. Iron Man was not in his book for two years, but there always was an Iron Man and or a legacy. So is it's it the manner. Well, is it the manner? Is it the suit? That, I think that it's the symbol the or at least you know? maybe the first 50 years of publication. It was the man. But as they grew into pop culture icons and mythologies and, and lessons for, you know, like illustrative lessons for children and adults, then it becomes a symbol. And at that, at that point, you, you flex with the symbol because there's only so many stories you can tell about one human being. So I, I don't or necessarily think it's that or or you I mean, there's, I mean, there's, a, you know, time moved slower, no diggity, no doubt in comics for years, right? But time moved. And yeah. time changed, and we didn't tread back on that. And that's that's the age Denny comes from, and I think that's where that quote comes from. Marvel is that if I'm it. going to take if I'm going to take Robin's life, Robin's life is taken, and I have to own that shit. Not he's going to come back as the Red Hood because of some shit sometime later. Yeah. That makes the job very fucking easy. I thought it wasn't just a dead Robin either. It was a Batman affected by a dead Robin. So right. you know, we didn't we didn't just deal with, hey, Nightwing took a walk, so I got to have a second Robin. Now Robin it doesn't just get he doesn't just die. He gets beat the shit out of him, and he's blown up, like dramatically. And it wasn't even now again we're talking about whatever ninety votes in either direction. It would have changed, but. They made a thing out of this. It happens, and they don't just go, nah, it's just a little story. We move on. Bruce spends a year not being Bruce because he doesn't oh, know how to function cool. without Robin now. I and, mean, it, it, it affects him more than a year, Tim. I mean, we go yeah, several I mean, years right. with him trying to find his new legacy. Right. And that's, you know, and, and it's not that he finds a new legacy, the legacy finds him. Mm. And that's as much fun because Tim Drake's convinced he's going to be Robin 
and this is why it has to happen. And Bruce is like, no, you're going to die. Get out. Is that Denny O'Neill also? Was he Tim Drake? He was He was editing at that point. He, he wasn't was writing. Editing, yeah. but I think it was, was Marv Wolfman. Yeah. Could have been. But it but, was like, it was an impact. It was a thing, even though it could have just been a one-off kind of thing or a, a separate universe kind of thing. We dealt with the gravity of a dead teenager, the, the happy-go-lucky dead teenager, too. And I feel like that wouldn't have been something that we would have done without a Denny at the at the helm. So I still think that it speaks to, to modern comics now. Like not not so much in uh the last the last couple of decades, it has been cyclical storytelling. It just has been. Um so having the same kind of emotional response that somebody would have 50 years ago, uh, it's just not relevant. You know? Especially now that we have like 45 other media channels too and not just the comics i think it's uh for one thing i love the the uh, stories that have weight and carry on but truly the earlier stories were not cyclical because nothing changed at all you know like, the earlier stories were retellings of the, i mean they even in the editorial were like we can retell the same stories every few years because our audience ages out and nobody right. will know that we did again so they were like the the original myths of these things. And also, yeah. to your point, Noel, I think that the one of the reasons that people get so upset, like Danny O'Neill mentioned in that quote, you know, these are the folklore of our time. And it's an idea yeah. that has always resonated highly with me, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense that people wouldn't be like, well, it's an Iron Man. Look at how upset people get with very minor religious differences of the same religion. <laughs> they fight wars over it. This is the same deal, but at least we're just yelling at each other, you know, rather than so far. Yeah. Yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's what that's why it really strikes that chord is because these do fill a folklore mythical role in our culture and our society. Um, as as myths, this like I don't want to like crack an egg, but as myths, mm -hmm. do you feel that there is a responsibility of these larger than life characters to provide kind of that societal inclusion then you know I think societal inclusion is a great thing uh yeah, yeah yeah i think that's great and i think that when we you know when they can work it into those stories then that is a better myth right like that's a more serviceable myth to pattern good, our, well, you know yeah, like parts of it it does whatever is good about these 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 yeah. four color comic mm -hmm. books the the more inclusion or the more diversity or the more whatever mm -hmm. it like increases the footprint of the myth yeah increases the positivity and, of its yeah. effectiveness right? and if you can get those people who have previously not been included to be in the upper tiers of things through one way or another you know then then that's good and it will probably take time and yeah. that will be a better a better pattern for us um but all that being said, the whether it's good or not, I think that that's why people react so strongly. Yeah. You're changing their myth, you know. Well, and there's a and there's a way. I think there's a there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And I think where you get a lot of flack from the recent changes that occurred in Marvel, and then you get the rebound on that is they did it lazily. Mm -hmm. They almost ham fisted this uh, need for diversity in the comics. And I find that insulting, not only to the audience, but also to the 
uh, characters that they're trying to bring into this medium. Uh, fuck you. Why should I take that old man's suit, right? If I am a new character, create a new character, right? Don't just, don't just put them into the shoes of what already existed before. That's lazy. Are there, are there, are there good or bad? Let Tim go. Let Tim go. Go ahead. I feel like legacy has to be a thing, though. And DC's been doing it for 30 years. Why can't it? No, longer than that. Why can't there be legacy? Why, why does, why do characters have to remain unchanged? And I get the folklore aspect of that question, but like if, if, uh, if Dick Grayson is Batman, does that change Batman? Now, Dick Grayson was Batman for what, a year and a half or something. And a lot of people are convinced he's the better Batman. So I find that fascinating, but only us geeks know that. Yeah, I've never heard that particular. I mean, Black Mirror was great, but that's that's the question that, that you know is, is Wally West the Flash or is Wally West Barry Allen's successor? Those are things that I feel like DC stepped up to the plate and tried. Now you still have to assess those stories on good writing, good art, whatever. Of course, but Marvel was always afraid of that, and I felt like the moment that. Jane Foster picked up the hammer in Thor, we've opened up a new door. Now, does she need to exist only as Thor with Odin's son hiding away off to the side? I don't know if that's true, but I feel like we can create legacy in a way that continues the folklore without destroying that idea. I do, I do agree with you, Rob. On a, it does feel like they went, flip the switch. We're doing it now, and seventeen characters changed. Yeah, and there was nothing, and there was nothing organic to that. The Jane Foster right. example you bring up, I think they they wove that in the story, and Jane's a character that had been around and part of the mythology for a long yeah. time. I think and that's trying to, and trying like to, in trying two Iron steps of yeah. trying. Yeah, it's two steps of trying to de-age as well as diversify. You're right, Tim. They didn't take the time to weave yeah. it in organically. They flipped the switch and said, look how different we are. Let's try and get BTC in this new bubble, sales bubble, right? Let's create a new bubble. Yeah, so I, I feel like um, Mar it's the net positive in, in regards to Marvel because there's a couple of characters that did feel like they were slapped on. But then there were a couple of characters that I actually thought were very well done. And they didn't destroy the character from before, you know, like, and I, I consider Jane Foster an excellent example. It was part of the narrative. It was a, it was a legacy character and Odin's son was still a major character in the book and had his own right. separate series. Right. So right. like they didn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. A lot of people had problems with Riri Williams because they introduced her two issues before she jumped into the suit when Iron Man went away. However, on the other side of it, Dr. Doom taking over the mantle was such an interesting, crazy story, right? So, like, I and uh, Sam Alexander, I thought it was fucking amazing. Yeah. The fact that they retroactively created a a history with the the Nova Corps that I thought was actually really fun, like a, a, a different ops unit of the Nova Corps. I thought that was really cool. They didn't step on the toes of anything else. But then, I, I don't know, I, I don't think that it was a all for nothing, or I don't think that it was a haphazard thing. It was just hit or miss. 
which I is think, all initiatives. I honestly think that there's a part of me that believes that if speaking specifically about the Riri Williams character, if that if Riri Williams is, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, if she was a white girl who had did that and the story ran the same exact length, nobody would have said shit. So that's why right, I tell them all to shut the fuck up. But we are getting <laughs> far afield from where we should be because we are celebrating the career of Denny O'Neill. So as we begin to shut this down, because we can get political next week, dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we begin to shut this down, I was looking back over his career, and there are so many things that this man will be known for. I mean, we didn't even touch on, really touch on him introducing Ra's al Ghul. And so, I mean, like, oh, yeah. he introduced Ra's al Ghul. He created yeah. this character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just like two characters. I mean, I would say uh, him and Venom are like the only two that I can think of who have really made it into the core mythology that were not introduced originally. Bane? That's a feat. Mm-hmm. I, would, yeah. I would say Bane. Bane. All yeah. right. Yes, Bane has. I guess he has. Yeah. Uh, he broke the... And, and, you know what? You know what? I would say, if you're talking... If you want to speak about Batman, I would say... Because you're right. Everybody goes to like the famous six now. You know, Joker, <laughs> Riddler, Catwoman. Two over and over that. again. Right. Over and over and over again. I think there's a war coming. Um, but uh, wow. a I would war? say <laughs> if only. Just a city I, of, would, yeah. I would say that I think Poison Ivy has, has kind of got in there. If oh, maybe only that. because she's yeah. the only other oh. woman cr- criminal. Harley but I think too then. Right? But, like, but, but Harley came way, by way of Joker. That's the only way I wouldn't yeah. say Harley. Yeah. But, um, yeah like she's big but right. She had a different path. And Harley came in via the TV show, so she didn't yeah, even start true. in comics. Yeah. True. true, And some would argue that maybe even Poison Ivy doesn't be, get as big as she is because of until the TV show. Because the TV yeah. show, not only as much as it bigged up Har- um, Harley because it introduced her, but it makes Poison Ivy more of a villain. And it really is the one that made you give a damn about Mr. Freeze. And yeah. before you before you move away from, from Reza Ghoul, I think once again, going back to that, care for the folklore and something that's an enduring, right? Raise and rise of goal and Talia, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, that's the seventies are introduced the eighties. You've got a son of the demon, right? So he knocks Talia up. There's a baby. Then 20 years later, uh, long gestation period in those assassins, I guess <laughs> you get <laughs> Damian Wayne born and comes back into the mythology and the folklore again. And that's that's right. just I mean that's a genius of talent that made it so personal both sides of the bat the real side of the bat you know the man side as well as uh, the protector. I have a question before we go out, and I think us spending an hour talking about the career of Denny O'Neill, he is certainly somebody who is worth it. But J- and JD's coming back just in time hey. for this. Um, hey. Hey. You know, we mm. recently celebrated. You know, the career of Stan Lee, who passed, uh, like, what, last year or maybe a couple years ago? Um, uh, Brian brought up that we should definitely, um, you know, pay a little homage to uh, recently passed Marty Pasco, who's a longtime mm-hmm. comic book comic book uh, a writer. Um, Lynn Wine died. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn Wine died recently. 
I'm wondering, I mean, and this is just speaks to the importance of comic book conventions when you got an opportunity to go and talk to these these old time stars these writers and these yeah. these artists of our childhood please take the opportunity and go there because they would they want nothing more than to hear what they meant to you what their stories meant to you um and uh i was just i was just wondering like you know um if there is someone out there who, if you could touch them, if you could go see them at a convention, I, I saw, I had my moment with George Perez. I, 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 I fumbled. I'll be honest. I was, <laughs> I totally geeked in front of him. But I had my moment with George Perez. There's nobody else in comics that I really, I mean, I love them all, but George Perez is is that for me. Is there somebody for you out there who, who still? You, you can't wait to stand in front of with your books to get them signed or just to tell them what they mean to you. Who's first? Not me. Uh, what? What'd you say, Tim? It looks like Noel has to cheat before he can decide. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was gonna, like, my first, my first, my first reaction is probably something that will not be very popular. So, as in, I'm gonna get shit for it. Go for it. Okay. Um, I am, I'm a writer first. Uh, and then I immediately think to the stuff that pulled me back in, in my second wave of reading, not the first wave when I was little, but you know, the late high school, early college wave of getting back into comics and understanding really what they could be and what they are. So I would want to spend like an hour just bullshitting with Brian Michael Bendis. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. 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 And you yeah. could spend an hour with Brian Michael. Uh, or you know, and but the thing about it is though, like it's not he's not a he's not a monolith. Like he's not like even though he's probably contributed more than any other writer in the last 20 years of comic books, mm -hmm. he's still not a monolith because he makes himself available literally everywhere and on everything. So there's nothing new that I could learn or understand from him. He'll tell the same story a thousand times. But of all the things that bubble to the top of uh, like uh, looking at my shelf, all the things that like are contributed by him. It's just like, yeah, no, I, I would probably be Brian McAventus. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, hey, you seem excited about that. Well, I, it's it's a very it's a very uh it's a very boring answer because no, half the people that listen to this, half the people that listen to or to see this, will probably uh f they fucking hate Brian Michael Bendis, and and the other half uh think that he's overrated, and then there's like five of us that think he's great. I think there's a hell of a lot more that think he's great. They just uh -huh. yeah. don't feel the need to vocalize it. The guy wouldn't yeah. get to where he's at yeah. by only having a small... Yeah, so I, I completely yeah. off topic, looking at my shelves, I actually just found a um, out-of-print uh, crime noir omnibus of his mm. that I'm just mm. waiting to deliver, and I can't <laughs> wait to jump into the old... I've never read any of it. I'm so, super excited. Nice. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the um, before we get into that, there's one more Denny O'Neill thing that I didn't realize he wrote. I was just reading the Wikipedia page, and mm -hmm. Armageddon 2001. He oh my it. god! Yeah. <laughs> Which is I'll tell you, I, that's the 70th time that that stupid series has come up during like podcasting with you and JD. It is. it is a stupid series, but go ahead. Yeah. Ryan loves it. It's phenomenal. It, I'll tell you what, it, is, it might actually be the first event that I was aware of 
you know, like the first like annual kind of thing. Like I knew about Crisis having happened, but I was too young to read like when it came out. And the main series, like, yeah, they were screwed over by having to switch up who their villain was. Um, But all of the different like tie-ins are some of the comics that I've thought about like the most going, you know, going on uh, afterwards. And Wave Rider has always been a favorite of mine. You know, he's time traveling. He looks cool. The thing with the hand and he's trying to figure out whose hand it is that lifted him as a kid up. Um, yeah, so I love Armageddon 2001, and I didn't realize he did it until, like, you know, we started this show, or co did it, yeah. Um, so I did meet Carmine Infantino, and he was, you know, of the, uh, and a couple of other of, like, the, you know, the big guys from the past, and, um, uh, so as far as, like, who could I actually meet now, um, let's see, I met Mike Carey, who did Lucifer, Kurt Busiek would be pretty awesome, I bet. Uh, I think he's done a pretty high percentage of my favorite comics out there. Yeah, he'd be a good one. He'd be a yeah. Good one. yeah, yeah, so that would be pretty sweet. What about you, Rob? I met most of them, so <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 you, you, want talk, you want to talk about Busiak, a brilliant man, one of the hardest interviews I ever did. Yeah. Really? Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, again, he is just—he he is so smart. I mean, that it's you know that, that for a dummy like me, that was very difficult. Um, I did like when I met Chris Claremont though, and he told me to go after myself. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> did you? That's kind of what my experience was too. Yeah. I had just re- well, I had just reviewed Exiles when uh. he tried to redo Exiles, so he had a personal <laughs> thing against me. Yeah. Because I did not give that because it was awful. <laughs> it comes off. What about you, Tim? <laughs> so uh, mine can't be done. I I was on my way. We were a month away from meeting Big John Buscema mm. at the first Wizard World Philly show the spring that he died. Um, oh. I would still pay money to get that one back. Um, probably now it would have to be somebody like Brian K. Vaughn. Um, who like everything I read of his speaks to me somehow and I don't I don't necessarily love all of his stuff but I love something in all of his stuff and I sort of feel like we could sit and talk and that would be a good time and it it wouldn't have I'd speak in my most difficult, but speaking my easiest, I've interviewed Vaughn probably, I guess, about three times now. Uh, I think Ex Machina, uh, Why the Last Man, and there was a saga. There was, uh, you know, I interviewed him for that. And he is the easiest conversation I ever had. He's just a chill dude and just really, like you said, easy to talk to and you just have a very real conversation. But he will throw sketch of genius in between, you know, just being chill. Well, and that's like the the tons of people that I have met and, you know, my Claremont was an outlier, but so many of them first, they were, they were still young in their career or whatever. And they were trying to sell to every person that came up to their table, but we would spend 10 minutes and actually just chat. Um, Devin Grayson was that way. She was oh, great. Yeah. Um, but Danny then O'Neill I also, gave her a start. Right. But then I've also stood and talked to Steranko for an hour because Steranko will pull you in so that he can talk to you for an hour. You're not really talking to him. He's talking to you. But he's a hoot. 
and he knows everybody. And like, there, there, it really could be a long list, and a fair number of them are in that older generation where I'm starting to go, I may not get to meet them. Yeah. Because they're going to be gone soon. Yeah. And, you know, these are, these are folks that, again, I read the credits. I knew their names in middle school. They're, they're permanently in here. Man, it'd be a shame if I didn't get to meet them. But yeah. that's, that's life. And that's no conventions and yeah. stuff. So. A lot of them don't even travel anymore for conventions. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And, let's, and let's be honest, the conventions aren't giving them a place. Wizard World right. has become so and so less comic right. year after year. Oh, that it's oh yeah. Pretty much. My, uh, yeah, you got to go. You got to go to the smaller cons to see them now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steranko offered my stepdad a job on two occasions. Um, nice. Yeah, to be his. He lived, or, at, or maybe still lives, it is sort of in this area, like towards Reading, yep. I guess. Yep. And he would like to be like a live-in yep. assistant. And my stepdad is huge, huge comics fan. Um, for you know, from way back, but he was like, it was just almost no money to do yeah. it, and I just yeah. couldn't do it. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I sat down, um, had an interview with Mike Grell, who probably next to Perez is the only my, the biggest influence on my life, comic books wise. And I had a beautiful hour long R rated conversation with him about <laughs> about everything comics, about the Legion, Warlord, Green Arrow. Oh, he shitted on DC so bad. I mean, and some of these are, are stories that he's told everywhere, but he gave me the R-rated version of them. It was so fucking cool. I loved it. And then he, and then he came onto the Tribbles, and um, I said, yeah, I would love for you to just repeat some of those stories. He's like, I don't know if I can repeat them, repeat them here, Len. And I said, well, at this time, we were, we were internet radio, so I was like, well, this is internet radio, so you can let it fly. He was like, what, what, what? why did you say that in the first fucking place? And he, just, <laughs> and he just went for it. Oh, it was such a good time. It was it was a ball. I think the only other person I would want to meet now, I met um, Jill Thompson uh, of Scary Godmother fame, and that was really cool um, because I met her not long after I did a Batman I was doing Batman whiteboard. I did a, a, a just a, uh, I did a drawing of her on there, and um, I had no idea that I would meet her like two weeks later. And I said, I don't know if you know, I this little whiteboard thing, and she was like, I saw that, I liked it, I showed it all around. I was like, oh, cool. I was like, I felt like a little kid and shit. Um, <laughs> but I think the only other person I would want to meet, and I, 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 you shouldn't want to meet your heroes, but I, I want to meet, sit down with this guy, is John Byrne. And I just want to, I just really want to take the opportunity to sit down and, and, you know, I want to see if the legend is real. Keep, I was going to say, keep, keep the conversation short. Cause I heard that he gets you know, tiresome and or uh, annoyed yeah. easy. Right? Yeah, I know. It's like jump in and jump out. Keep it real. There's, a, there's yeah. a business around here. John Byrne painting. Have you ever seen those signs sticking in people's lawns? I drive by. No. And I'm like, oh, I guess he's a house painter now too. <laughs> You know what? I, I didn't. I didn't think about it until uh, Tim answered. But somebody that I, I will never be able to meet that I actually I did kind of meet him, but I didn't know it at the time was Darwin Cook. Oh yeah. Um, I went to a. Uh, I used to live in Florida and work in Florida, and him, his, him and his wife, um, and sort of the Palmiotis lived in Central Florida. 
So I went to a art show of Phil Noto's uh, at my local comic shop at the time. Uh, and they were just there. And I recognized them from afar. And like, we had cigarettes outside within each, like in each other's space and was just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Cool. Yeah. But I, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to be like, I know who you are and you're Jimmy Palmiotti and I really, really love your stuff. Like I, it was just, uh, there was no entryway into the conversation other than you're standing shoulder to shoulder with some really cool people. Yeah. So I just let it go, but I would love to have meet him yeah. for real. He was a nice guy. That was my brush with Bendis at the Marvel party. I think it was New York 2012 was I was just kind of now I'm six, five. So I just, I'm like a wall coming in. So Hi, I mean, he did kind of, he, did, he didn't notice me in that regard, but it was, yeah, there was no entryway into the conversation, just kind of back to back with him. Yeah. And other than that, I would love to just be a fly on the wall while Paul Levitt's bitches about gossip <laughs> in, in all of comics. Like, I want to know how hard it was to keep Watchmen protected. I want to know the fights he had with Mark Wade. I want to know all of it. Like, I just want Paul Levitz to just fucking like, like treat me like confession. Just let it all out. I would love I'll to hear all you, that shit. I'll tell you who's good for that is Keith Giffen. Oh, I yeah. went, oh, and Stuart Eminent. Like, I want these old heads to just like tell me all the stories. I went to a convention and Fred Hembeck was there and he was selling this bit, his big encyclopedia book that he's got, this black and white encyclopedia book. And I used to collect all of Fred Hembeck's books. I loved it. So I, I said, Oh, I love this. I, I want it, please. And he, and he signed it and he was drawing a picture of himself in there. And Keith Giffen was sitting next to him. And he looked over at Fred. He's like, drawing that fucking face again. And he's like, he's like, he's like, this is what I'm going. To, this is what I do every time. What do you do? I don't see anybody over there. He's like, they don't want to. He's like, yeah, they don't want my shit. They they just want to shit on my shit. I was like, what well, do they want to shit on your shit? I said, like, I love you, keep Kevin. You're five years later, Legion of Superheroes. Like, oh, not that shit. Oh fuck. And then he just. He just went on for like an hour. I was just—he's like, "Come back here." And I just sat down between him and Fred Hembeck, and they were shitting on Marvel. They were shitting on DC. Oh my god! It was so much fun, man. I wasn't even recorded. I was just there. I was just in the room when it happened, man. It was so much fun. Have I told you guys about uh, when I met Robert Kirkman at uh, Baltimore Comic Con? No, no. So this was The Walking Dead, I think, had started. I, I never read it, but um, and the TV show definitely was not out yet. And so it was like five o'clock on the Sunday of the con, you know, and there's only uh, closing down. And I'm with a good friend of mine and he's like, you know, I want to I want to buy this Star Wars print. But I also hope to get my Jubilee comic signed by Robert Kirkman because he had written a Jubilee mini. And I was like, you know what? You go buy the Star Wars thing. I'll take the Jubilee over and get it signed by this guy, right? That I don't know who he is. And so... I'm not a fan. Can you sign this? But even one better, one more so than that. I had seen uh, some artist using one of the backing boards to do a quick sketch. And I was like, you know what? My friend Justin would really appreciate it. I was like, hey man, would you mind doing a sketch of Jubilee? And he's like, Yes. Why do you want me to do that? And, and so we drew it, 
And and I was Justin comes up and I'm like, hey Justin, I got him to draw a sketch too. And he's like, why? And I was like, <laughs> he's the artist of the book, right? It's like no, he's the writer. And we looked at it and we we're like, you know, Kirkman was like, yeah, but look at it. And it was like, it was a pretty good sketch. So uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you I have know. an original Kirkman sketch. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. See the thing is. You're not the first one to get a writer to draw a sketch for you. Mm. I'm not going to talk about the first sketch of my book because I'm no longer happy with that writer. But that's fine. <laughs> but that was, I'm literally standing in line. The writer's alone. I knew him from years before. And while I was waiting, I'm like, I hopped over like, here you go. How about you be the first page? And he drew a sketch while I was there. Oh, but cool. like, like a bunch of Marvel writers threw mm -hmm. things together. So... I love those moments because nobody really has those things. Nobody asks them for things. Right. You know, you go to Mark Wade, Mark Wade's going to sign his name. That's what he does. Right. But like, I have these cool, weird, and they're not, they're not good. That's fine. They're not good, sure. but I don't care. It's, that's totally unique. Can I, can I, before, before, this is a tangent now, but can I tell a, a small story about like my best con experience? Yeah. Um, I was I was reporting reporting for Broken Frontier at the time, and uh, I was at the New York Comic Con. I had just gotten my first the first generation of the iPad, and it came in that um, matte finish kind of case, like this this uh, folio type of case um, without a keyboard. It was just it was very heavy and big, um, but it was matte finished. So I had like a half hour before the show, I had an idea of oh if if they've got silver sharpies. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna walk down Artist Alley mm. and just have people sign my iPad cover. That's cool. Whatever part mm. of it. So it just snowballed into spending artists the, the the entire time at Artist Alley. I have sketches and signatures from uh -huh. people that I didn't even know were spectacular. <laughs> like um, Tim Sale drew an entire thing on the side. Jeff Darrow drew a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex and is, and signed his name. Like the whole thing is covered from top to bottom. Uh, Temple Smith was in there and, and Mignola was in there. These are all just dudes hanging out at Artist Alley. Some of them weren't, I wasn't even in line for them. They were just like, oh, that's fucking cool. Let me do that. And they just pulled out their, their <laughs> silver Sharpies and just started going. Yeah. Did I, you use it after? Yeah. It was like, I was, it was like the grail because it was keeping my $800 iPad. <laughs> and I was like, this was like 10 years ago. So I was really upset about like hurting it. So like it was yeah. the grail keeping it dry. Like the, the people would sign it. And so I'd be like, making <laughs> <laughs> sure it doesn't mark off. But, but again, like upgrading devices, that mm -hmm. stupid thing doesn't fit in anything anymore. It's in storage. And I, I don't even know how to display it because it's both sides flipped over. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. But it was the coolest thing. Temple Smith only offered me his uh, spit straw he uses to make blood. So consider yourself honored. You're welcome. I we got to shut this down, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed. Well, hold on, this. catch me up on everything I missed. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you're, you're adorable, JD. I, I love listen. you. I'm seeing some comments from Facebook user over here that says, "I didn't like Jane Foster. Riri was silly. A 15 year old hacking Tony suits." What, tell this person to shut up. Yeah. They also I, said, done. I mean, you can do it. You're on. <laughs> shut up, Facebook and he wants, he wants to meet, like, like meet M-E-A-T, E-V-S, and Jim Lee. So that's cool. Yeah, that's why we kind of, like, just let it go. I, but, I, I, is that a euphemism, though? You want to meet him? Like, 
Okay, no, so it's not. It's it's, hard, it's illiteracy at its I best. I know. <laughs> we got to get out of here, ladies. Here. Here. Say what? Rick Taylor's here, the colorist for the Batman animated series. Oh, uh, there book. he is. Oh, awesome. Just wave. Hey. No, keep, keep coming. Hey. 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 We're talking about Denny O'Neill. I know. That just breaks my heart. Yeah. yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. We got to get out of here, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Gutter Talk. Um, check it out any place and every place that you find podcasts. Also on the Co-Pop Network, Black Tribbles, Highlight the Tribbles. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for sitting in with us, man. We really thank appreciate it. Thank you for it, having man. me. And, thank and you for I having hope, me. And I hope that you will come back next week for actually what we had planned to do involving yeah. you next week. Let's hope, no one, let's hope no one else dies and I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, we'll only spend 20 minutes on whoever the hell that is because we're tired of bad news. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, but Rob, let people know where they can find you if they want to um, talk to no, Optimus Tribble. Find me on Facebook if you really want to talk to me that badly after this. <laughs> if not, just follow the Black Tribbles. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Uh, I'm at brianleavedesign.com and uh, on Spoiler Alert in here. Noel? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and social media and stuff for the Cold Pop Podcast Network. Just just find my name and I'll respond. And Tim from last week in the JD seat, I will let you tell people where they can find you and more importantly, tell people where they can come and see you. So I'm Tim from last week on multiple platforms. Look it up. It's fine. I'm also Comic Zen, which is my venue. It's empty, of course, because I don't let people in my store right now. Um, but Comic Zen is at 301A. West Main Street in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm also Tim Hershey, but he, that guy's boring, so who cares? Um, I think those are things. But yeah, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you'll find me. And you can, JD, he, he's busy serving customers at the Hero Complex in Manny Young, ladies and gentlemen. So check him out, JD's Hero Complex on all the social medias. Like and follow him. Uh, he's got a Patreon popping as well. I know that Brian likes to shout it out every once in a while. I don't know he just you. gets the details wrong. It's fine. It's no big deal. not supplied. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, if people really want to donate, they can find him. They'll find them. They'll find them. Yeah. yeah. Give the money to Tim. He'll get it to JD. Sure. Sure. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's it for this edition of Gutter Talk. Please be safe. The world is opening up right, right now, but please still be safe. Be well. And until next week, da-da-da-da! <laughs>